These are your words, Lord, so I trust that you will, you'll deliver them. I uh, will do my best, but I'm thankful, Holy Spirit, that since you wrote these, you can deliver them uh, beyond our ears and intellect and deliver them deep in us and truly cause us to change. So I trust you with them. In Jesus' name, amen. We have spent uh, a number of weeks on what uh, is traditionally called the Sermon on the Mount. If you're kind of new to church, it's, it's three chapters in the Bible. And uh, these three chapters capture a sermon that Jesus taught while he was sitting on the side of a mountain, speaking down to a bunch of folks. You have to assume that they're kind of below him on the mountain. They're all sitting and listening to him, to him teach. We call it the Red Letter Podcast because he's sitting. It seems like it must have been pretty laid-back communication. But he walks through a variety of topics, and they are, they're pretty provocative, really. The topics that he addresses with folks 2,000 years ago absolutely apply to where we are right now. We're kind of at the end of chapter 6. The Bible's broken up into chapters. Somebody at some point came along and took a letter that Matthew wrote and broke it up into chapters so you and I could find where, where we are. This is chapter 6, verse 19. We're going to read a number of verses today and just see what Jesus taught us on a couple subjects. There's a super famous verse in this passage. And I don't know about you, but if you grew up in church, you might remember this verse by a song. So, so here's, I'm going to attempt to sing it, and some of y'all are going to sing it with me. Otherwise, this is going to, I'm going to blush heavily, and, and this will be really awkward. But it's really cool to have a, a verse like this, like deep inside of you. Sing it with me. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Somebody out there singing that should be up here singing. I could hear you. That was great. I sing it for a couple reasons. One, because I wanted to help you see what's happening for your kids back in the classrooms. They're learning verses like that. I learned that as a kid. And it, I was reading this passage, and the song popped back into my mind. And I got that scripture. It's in me. It's mine. And it's, and it's interesting when verses that I learned when I was a kid pop up for you parents that, that have kids back there. You ought to celebrate that because they are learning the Bible. And it's, it's being embedded in their mind. And it's crazy how this living book, the Bible, comes back to the forefront at just the right times. Sundays here at Radius, that we teach the Bible. We believe that it has authority. We believe that God had it written on our behalf, that his Holy Spirit inspired it and wrote it down for us so that we can use it. We, we believe that it has power, so we want it to seep into us. So I, I, I sing it for that reason, then I, I sing it because it's going to drive our whole conversation today. He says in that simple song, recapturing verse 33 of this chapter, for, that we are to seek God's kingdom. What does that mean? First of all, what is the kingdom of God? Some of y'all are like really excited in your seats right now because you're like theologically minded and you're going, here we go, baby. And with the kingdom of God is this, for those of y'all that don't know, it's like this big conversation and folks, 
like, like they all agree on some stuff, but they, they come up with their definitions of the kingdom of God. There's this group, they, they, it's the covenant theology group, and for some of y'all, the covenant theology group, you're like, finally, we're going to talk about the kingdom of God. And there's this other group, they call themselves the dispensationalist. I don't know why they couldn't have picked something with less syllables, but they didn't, and, and they're on this other stuff. So they all get really excited about the kingdom of God, and, and they can talk about it, and I'll let them talk about it, right? Like, you can ask them about it. Here's what they both agree on. They both agree that the kingdom of God is under the rule and reign of God. So, i.e., the kingdom is fi- defined by what? The king. And, and it, as you read the scriptures, the son of God, Jesus. So, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. When you read in Matthew, you, you have this picture of Jesus Christ, the son of God, as the king. And he forms the kingdom and he rules and reigns. And so, we are under his leadership. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you. That's a good thing. You and I, if you believed in Jesus, if Jesus has saved you and Holy Spirit indwells you, then God inside of you aligns you with the kingdom of God. And so the writer is simply writing down what Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek to be up under the reign and rule of Jesus. And there's all kind of freedom when that takes place. Acts chapter 1. I don't know if you know how the Bible works. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are New Testament books, and they all capture the life of Jesus. So they're like the biography of Jesus. And then Acts begins the story of the church. The very first chapter is, is the only chapter where Jesus is still on the planet. So he's died, and he's been buried, and he rose again. He's been walking the earth for 40 days, risen again, which is really weird. And now he's going to ascend into heaven. And some of his very last words to the disciples, before he goes, he answers a question. One of the disciples goes, when is the kingdom going to be established? And these guys, they've got a picture in their mind of what the kingdom's going to look like. And so they ask, when's the kingdom going to be established? And Jesus answers like this. He, he doesn't sidestep the, the question. As a matter of fact, it's kind of hard to understand exactly what he's doing. He says, the, only the Father knows when the kingdom's going to be established. So I can't tell you that. I can't tell you the answer to when's the kingdom going to be established, but I can tell you this, and here's what he says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. So he says, I, I'm not going to tell you when the kingdom's going to come, but here's what I can tell you. Soon... The Holy Spirit's going to be poured out, and you're going to have power. Just just to be clear, here we are, a bunch of folks sitting in a room singing songs. Don't seem like that powerful of a bunch. I don't know, maybe a couple of y'all power lifters or something, I don't know, or you got some kind of black belt or something. We don't seem like that powerful of a bunch. And yet, those of us in the room that have believed in Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. I'm going to go ahead and tell you. Nothing stop us. Nothing. I mean, you can kill this, right? Like, you can kill this. This is going to go away. But you can't stop us because the Holy Spirit's inside. The power of God dwells inside of us. That's why you can't stop as jacked up as the church is across the world. You can't stop her because the Holy Spirit indwells the people that make up the church. And therefore, we're, we're, instead of worrying about when the kingdom's going to come, he's like, how about just be in the kingdom? 
Like walk around on this earth with power. What do, you, what do you think the world thinks about us in our town? Do they pick up on this power that's inside of us? Really interesting, uh, John Calvin, not somebody I quote a ton, but he says it like this. It is the task of the church to make the invisible kingdom visible. <laughs> Great line. So tomorrow at River Bluff, students over at Lexington, students, like, your job is to make the invisible kingdom visible. Tomorrow on your job, making the invisible kingdom visible. They're supposed to be able to see how God's kingdom runs because of you. We're supposed to represent him. We're witnesses to that kingdom. Today, we titled our, our little podcast, Real Safe. I don't know if, we're, if this is getting away from us or not. We've tried to put we, real in every podcast title. I don't know if that's how the podcasters do it or not. But here, here we go, real safe. And I, I want to propose to you that the kingdom of God is real safe. I'll read you some verses. Verse 19 of chapter 6 of Matthew. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Whenever, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. I don't know, maybe it's last summer. Uh, JT borrowed my Suburban. My, my uh, college son borrowed my Suburban. I keep this old Suburban. Anybody, I got this beater Suburban that we love. We've had it for all these years. Um, and it's got all kinds of issues. Every light on the dash lights up. But it doesn't matter. It still runs, right? You don't need all that stuff, evidently. Um, and so he drove it. He took it over to work out. And he laid his wallet on the seat after all the counsel from his mother that you can't leave something like that out where people can see it. He left his wallet on the seat. And he locked the doors. What, like, from my standpoint, don't lock the doors. They're going to break my car to get your wallet, right? Like, and exactly what happened. He went in and worked out. He came out. His wallet was gone. A couple hundred dollars are gone. And uh, he, had, he had to do all the stuff. Anybody done this? Like, your, your wallet gets stolen. You got to do all the stuff. You got to call the bank. You got to call the credit card. You got to do all the stuff. You got to get your driver's license. He did all of that. So he, he didn't listen to wisdom that his mother gave him. Now he really wanted some wisdom on how to fix this problem. But what I was most proud of him in the process was, not that it was trivial, trivial to him, but it, it just didn't affect his heart. Like the $200, that's painful when you're in college. Like to lose $200 cash is painful. And all the exercise to get your cards back and fixed, that's, that's painful. Nothing wrong with grieving that. But it, it clearly wasn't connected to his heart. Now, the fact that I drive that Suburban and I have to roll the window up to unlock the door, now, it's connected to my heart. Like, I'm going, like, every time I get out, i got to roll the window up to unlock it because they broke something in my, anyway, it doesn't matter. It's, it's so weird how having something stolen or broken gets to us. Anybody else? Nobody else. Your house ain't breaking? My house is breaking. And every time, like, i got to fix something, I get so frustrated because I can't remember. I fixed it 10 years ago. I can't remember how I fixed it. So I want to call Jared over here to come fix stuff at my house. Somebody that knows and can think like that. It's just this constant frustration because our stuff's rusting. It's being stolen. It's going away. And Jesus is saying to the people, hey, don't let that stuff get all the way to your heart. 
So if the stock market crashes tomorrow and you lose everything, you probably ought to cry. That would be appropriate. You can call your mama or your wife or your husband or whoever and, and mourn it. That, that isn't wrong, but it really, at the deepest level, shouldn't get to your heart. In many ways, Jesus is saying if you invest in eternal things, in spiritual things, this world can't touch that. It can't get to that investment. The stock market, the movement of man doesn't get to the treasure that we've invested in the life thereafter. And not even just thinking about heaven, but like the spiritual world right now, investing, investing in the things of God right now gives us this great freedom. Verse 21, I'll read it to you again. Whenever, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. It's a simple question. Like, I, I didn't really need to commentate on that, did I? That's just straightforward. And then he says this. Two verses in between some verses about money. Here's what he says. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. That makes sense. When I can see well, it helps my whole body. And when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. Makes sense? Again, not very complicated. Then he says this. And if the light that you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. So I thought trapped in between two sets of verses about money, it was interesting that he would make a statement like that. If the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. So I don't know what you think, but it's really, really easy that when you have stuff, to begin to think that the stuff is the key to happiness or light. So when the retirement fund is fully funded, you feel secure. <laughs> but what if you die tomorrow? Like, like, and then when you have that thing, when, when you finally get that thing that you've been waiting to get, whatever that thing may be, whether it be something small or something large, you finally get that thing. All of your focus has been on that thing, and you finally get it. Now what? He said, man, if you think that that's light, how darkness, how dark is it? I often think with that, seek, I sung it in the King James, the, the NLT says, seek the kingdom of God above all else, live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. The old, old translation says, and it will be added unto you. I often think that some of our folks in the church these days sing that song kind of like, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and it'll be added unto you, right? Hallelujah. Like, if, if I follow God, he's going to give me a bunch of stuff. That's, we call that the prosperity gospel. Very scary to sell our stuff here on this planet, on this earth, as the motivation to follow God. Is it not? That's what the Pharisees were doing. The Pharisees were literally, literally saying in their time that if you didn't have stuff, then there must be something wrong with you. You must, you must be a sinner in some way, and nobody knows about it, but it's, it, that's why you're not healthy and you're not wealthy. And we got folks saying the same thing today. Which I mean, when you read this passage, it, like, it, it blows my mind how you could possibly get that out of the Bible, where people are consistently suffering. Now, there's certainly some truths there. 
you, you live by the wisdom of the Bible, you might prosper. You certainly will prosper in the kingdom. That being not of this world. And so he writes that simple phrase, and he it's probably ought to get to all of us. We probably ought to all look in the mirror right now and just go, man, do I think I'm in the light? And am I really in the darkness? Has my stuff, have I begun to do this with my stuff? And I'm so focused on holding on to my stuff that I'm losing my way. I have no freedom. And he ends it with this verse. And then I'll take the pressure off of with the money. We'll go on to the next thing, right? No one can serve two masters, for you'll hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. Strong words. You cannot serve God, and I love the way the NLT takes a little liberty here, and be enslaved to money. In many ways, money's supposed to serve us as we serve God. That's, that would be the proper order. Money's a servant to us. We're not supposed to serve it. But if we do serve money, if we hold our stuff like this, then there's the potential that we'll lose our way, that it will begin to own us instead of it serving us as we serve the king. Piper says something like this. We plan and dream and strategize to maximize our blank. Well, is that the right word to put there? We plan and dream and strategize to maximize our blank. Piper fills in enjoyment of God. Really, really healthy thing for us to do today is, is to go, do I plan and strategize and maximize my time and energy to multiply my what? There are some verses in the Bible that would actually seem to indicate that how sacrificially generous I am will equal my enjoyment of heaven, the level of enjoyment of heaven. There's some debate on that, but you, you can't debate that some verses lean that way. It's something for us to take very serious thought, that our stuff and how we share it with others is going to impact our future. Not, not going to heaven, but perhaps the enjoyment of heaven. There's debate on that, and because there's debate on it, we ought to look really hard at it. And at the end of the day, what, what I want to do with my stuff is open up my hands and hold it out before God and say, what, what you want to do with this? I want to be under your authority with my stuff. What often happens in church is that I think the reason people start sweating when you talk about money is, one, it's super stressful. If you don't have, if you're not wealthy and folks are teaching that if you obey God, you will be wealthy, <laughs> that causes people to take their own life. It causes so much anxiety. And then on the other hand, the folks that are legalists, they put these clear forms on it. So they'll, they'll make you, they want you to just hit this specific mark. And that specific mark, because of that mark, it makes people sweat. Like, put this mark on it, and it puts all this pressure on people. And in the same way, like, maybe they would say, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Right? And, and they're going to highlight the holiness of God and put pressure on everybody based on, a lot of times they like to use the tithing mechanism. So they put pressure on everybody. And so there's pressure that if I don't get to that, then I'm a failure. But man, when you read it, like the way it's written in the Bible, and you think about seeking the kingdom first, 
Then there's all this joy in how and holding my hands open with my stuff, which means I could have stuff and be healthy. I cannot have stuff and be healthy. It would say that money means virtually nothing in the kingdom of God. Whether you're wealthy or poor, no different. You're, you're going to have to do your taxes here in a couple of days. For some of y'all, it's going to be painful, and some of y'all, it's going to be a joy, right? Like you'll get some money back. But guess what? It doesn't matter what's on that line in there. Like, like God's not looking at us based on what's on those lines. That ought to create a lot of joy in us. He's got this different economy. And if there's anything that this money that he's trusted us with, if, if it means anything in the future kingdom, it's about how much did you give away? Right? Like how generous are you? If it means anything. That's why he highlights when the widow drops in two mites into the, the deal. Even though people are dumping huge amounts in there, he's, he's identifying her heart condition. Saying, man, her heart is beautiful. And there's this expectation, especially if you read in the Gospels, that that'll be acknowledged in eternity. So really what he's asking is like, do you have some real safe investments? He's not talking about blue chip investments. He's not talking about safe investments like, like uh, the utilities, right? Like he's not talking about those kind of safe investments that, that produce a good dividend and it's consistent, but it's not high risk. He's talking about ones that cannot be altered because they're in his economy and they will never change. So Jesus, when he's presenting this kingdom, he's presenting this kingdom where there's no fear about our stuff in, in, in very appropriate fashion, he connects stuff to the next verse, which where he begins to talk about anxiety. I don't know, Lexington, do we have issues with money and anxiety? Perhaps we ought to like print these out, like get a tat all the way down our arm. It'd take a while, but like, like this, is, this is all over us. He says this in the following passage. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear. Verse 28, and why worry about your clothing? And then verse 31, don't worry about these things saying, what will I eat and what will I drink and what will I wear? Just goes on and on. He says for us to not be anxious. Like, well, that's helpful, Jesus. Just tell us not to be anxious. That's making me anxious. It's interesting. Uh, most kingdoms of the world, certainly the monarchies that are led by a king, they rule by fear. And so uh, the way you keep the people at bay and doing what you want them to do if you're the king is you keep them anxious. You consistently want them to need you to protect them. Else they might rebel. Somebody might rise up and take you out. We live in a democracy, which is, I mean, is, is, is an upgrade from a monarchy, right? But we do the same thing. That's what all the Second Amendment conversation is about, right? Like, anybody getting nervous that I said Second Amendment? about guns, if y'all don't know what Second Amendment is. Like, Second Amendment is about guns. So one side would say, hey, let's take all the guns away, and we will protect you. That puts them in control. The other side would say, let's give everybody a gun, and you can protect yourself. What are they both selling? Safety. They're both selling the same thing. It's funny how we're suckers for these things. So both lines of thinking, the left and the right, if you look on their political pages, they're they always talking about the Second Amendment because they know they can get your vote if they play to your fear. 
which is what they do. So on one side, they want to give you a gun to keep you afraid. On the other side, they want to take your gun away to keep you afraid. I know some of you are like, no, they don't. <laughs> but this is the Bible. This ain't the Constitution. <laughs> like, like this, that's what they do. That's what every government in the history of the world has done. They play on your fear to get your vote so they can stay in control. Let me tell you something. Jesus ain't afraid of nobody taking his kingdom. Ain't nobody taking Jesus away from the kingship of his kingdom. Nobody can come take it. He isn't going to ever die. He's not going away. He's not afraid, so he doesn't deal in fear. So his kingdom has no anxiety. He doesn't put fear on people because he doesn't need you to keep him in place. He stays in place because he is the king. Praise God. We're supposed to look different because of that. We're a king. We're, as a part of the kingdom of God, we're supposed to walk around without anxiety. Like, bro, what world do you live in? I, I hear you. Like, I'm like, I'm talking about what he says, not what I say. Like, like, his kingdom has no anxiety. You and me, we're sinners. We got a little anxiety. I'm a Christian. I have been a long time. And I'm anxious. Anybody else? I've been anxious this week. You could argue that this is the most anxious generation in the history of the world. Perhaps because of the screen. <laughs> the counseling, where if you're a counselor, man, you need to take me to lunch because y'all making money. Like the counselors, like they're, they're, people are lined up. We can't get enough counselors because of the stress on our culture. The younger generations are taking it on the chin like no other. Psycholo psychology today. I got this from Kim, who's on our staff. It compares a high school kid's level of stress and anxiety right now to in the 1950s, they would actually, at that level of stress and anxiety, they would put you in a home just for the average high school kid today. And they connect that specifically to the screens, to constantly comparing to somebody else, to constantly having somebody's access, to having no alone time in essence. You're always alone and yet never alone. So there's this incredible amount of anxiety being placed on us in our world. And Jesus is saying, hey, man, my followers aren't anxious. The kingdom is not a place of anxiety. I recognize in our room there's stories that I, I can't even relate with. It's a phrase that we throw around a lot in our cultures. You haven't walked in my shoes, and I, I truly have not walked in many of your shoes. I, I don't know what you go through. I know that hearing the stories in our room that many have been abused in ways that I really can't fathom. Uh, some of y'all's parents or lack of parents, like I, I don't know anything about that. We have different temperaments. Some of us handle emotional trauma different and all of us are different in the room you're looking across the room almost everybody in the room we just got these different experiences so like i i haven't walked in your shoes and so i don't speak with authority in that way i'm speaking with his authority like like on one hand i don't want to trivialize the, the true anxiety that has been placed upon your life by others and by the nature of our world on the flip side i don't want to make light of the words of jesus if I believe this book is written by God and Jesus said these words, and I do, that I want to hold his words up high. I want us to examine our anxiety 
based on his words. Now, there's some just wise things we can do, right? You could probably cut down the number of hours, not minutes, hours that you spend on the screen. That might reduce some anxiety, right? You, you, you might, uh, if, if you got financial anxiety, really interesting, he puts the money in, like, then, then you might go take our class that we do. We'll start at the end of, of March where we help work on budget, and that might take away some of your anxiety. If you, you want to ask about that, we can, we can help you get into that. Uh, financial peace, I think, starts the last week in March. But there's some anxiety that, man, you, you got no control over, and Jesus wants to meet you in it, and he's got these words for you. And what I'm hoping as simply a servant of his is to get you to open up your hands. Because sometimes, just like we do with our stuff, we can't open up our hands with our deepest pain, with the anxiety that rides with us day in and day out. Listen to what he says. That's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? For some of y'all, that just that seems so trivial in that culture. Food and clothing, like, like they were a premium just to get to eat. For us, we're worried about where we're going to eat and how much we're going to eat and, and who cooked what we're going to eat because that's where we live. But we still worry about it, don't we? Like it dominates our mind at times. In their culture, when they're thinking about clothes, they're hoping their clothes are going to last. Anybody my age have some tough skins when they were growing up? Man, yeah, millennials, y'all missed it. We had tough skins. Their jeans, they were indestructible. Like, you take them off, the bad news is, like, you're kind of scarred up from your pants, right? They had, like, they had like triple knees in them. I, if I remember right, they had triple knee patches inside. And so when you're done, your knees kind of red when you take off your pants. Like, that tough skins, that, that's what the people in this, they want their clothes to last. I was closer to the Great Depression than y'all were. I didn't go through it, but tough skins came from the De- Great Depression. I, I'm, I'm posi- positive. But we, we get consumed with our clothes because of what people think about us in our clothes, right? It's Old Navy right here. You like that? It goes my eyes blue in some light and green in other. I got hazel eyes. See, I like that. See, it's up. it works for me, doesn't it? Like, like we're worried about our clothes. Everybody's a little bit concerned about how people perceive us because of what we're wearing. So it's weird how, how for some of us, it's just all consuming eventually. And he's just taking those two things to connect to all the things. What food? Man, food will keep you alive, but it also provides pleasure. So for some of us, we're afraid about our life, but some of us, we're worrying about the next time we're going to experience something of pleasure, and we're consumed by it. That's what an addict is, somebody consumed by the next time they're going to have pleasure. Clothing, man, all of us are concerned what people around us think, every one of us, some more than others. It gets honest, and the more consumed you are by looking at what somebody else looks like and comparing yourself to them, then the less you, like, the more anxious you become, and oftentimes the less you think of yourself. So he says, in answer to the question, it's interesting, in the passage there's six questions, and he says, worry six times. First question, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Like, a simple answer is obviously yes. Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for their heavenly father feeds them. He comes back with almost too simple of an answer. What it really does is tries to get you to get your hands open, like with my clothes and my food 
and all my desires, all the things that provide me anxiety, and then he really wants you to move to the point of worship. Doesn't God take care of, of the birds? He asked this question at the end of that, and I, I hope that it can encourage you. Aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? In many ways, Jesus is saying to you right where you are, I see you. I see you. And you're way more valuable to me than anything else on this planet. I made you, men and women, in the image of God. And if Jesus were here today, he'd be pointing to this this meal that we remember every Sunday, he would point to how much he values you to the point that he, he had this plan to come live, die, be buried, rise again so that you could call his dad your dad. That's the ultimate value. Don't I, aren't you far more valuable to him than they are, Jesus says? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? You see how he's addressing worry? It's it's interesting. I don't want to make it too simple. But he first points to his love and his value of you. He wants to get our eyes for a minute off of our worries and look at his love. And then he he points to his sovereignty. You can't add a single minute to your life. Can't, you, you can't accomplish that. He can. He's sovereign. He rules and reigns. He's the king. You're living in his kingdom. So he's saying instead of focusing on what you can't do, seek first the kingdom. Cheryl and I uh, moved, moved to Lexington. We bought a little house out, out past Rush's. And uh, about 18 years ago, I, was, I had some heart issues. Um, I've had heart issues since I was a kid. And and uh, one night, I woke up, my heart was racing. We didn't have great insurance. It's nighttime. You, you know how this goes. Anybody, anybody do this, like, physically? Like, your heart's racing, and you're wondering, because I'd had a heart attack pr- previous, like, am I going to die tonight? Anybody ever been there? Like, I'm, am I going to die tonight? Now, it's, it's really weird because the insurance, I, like, I don't, want, I don't feel as close to death like we're going to the doctor because I ain't paying for that, right? And on, on the other hand... I don't feel close enough to death to wake up Cheryl. Like, that seems too important. Let her sleep. She's going to stay asleep. We're not going to wake up the kids. So I go out and sit on the front porch. I had two or three nights like this in a row where my heart was acting crazy. And you just rock in the rocking chair, kind of like you're just kind of waiting. Like, I guess I'll be here in the morning. It's it's just kind of this weird feeling. Anybody been there? Baby, I think I'm just weird. Like, that's, that's, it, it was, it was interesting. Like, I, and you read this verse in context of that, can all your worries add a single moment to your life. Like you're rocking in a rocking chair. And on one hand, I, I knew, know Jesus, so I'm, I'm holding him high and saying he's sovereign. And like he can, he can keep me alive if he wants to. He can take my life if he wants to. On the other hand, I'm worried about it, which is about to kill me, right? Like because I got all this pressure on my heart because I'm worried about it. And he's saying, hey, I see you. I love you. And I'm sovereign. I'm in control. And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They, they don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon, all of his glory, not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he certainly will care for you. Why do you have so little faith? What a crazy line. It's a great, great reminder of how to deal with anxiety. Again. 
I'm not trivializing where you're coming from. I'm telling you what he's saying. And when he wants you to deal with anxiety, he keeps pointing to himself. He keeps pointing to the king. And in order to, to celebrate a king you can't see, it takes faith. So he pushes us to, to humble ourselves and focus on him. I don't know what it is, but when I have worry, it is really hard for me to get knocked off the worry thing that's running in my mind and get reconnected to focusing on him. But when I do, it's such a relief. So don't worry about these things saying, what will I eat and what will I drink and what will I wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. I was heavy to read. Just ought to check us all this morning, and even as we get ready to sing right now, you ought to start preparing yourself to hold your hands open and hold your anxiety out to God. He can handle it. Because not like the unbelievers, we believe. We have faith. We believe that he's the king. And so he just wants us to hold it out to him and trust those anxieties to him this morning. It should make for great worship. Because as we release our anxieties, then it kind of helps our hands lift. And we call him great because he can handle them as the king. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he'll give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. I love that verse. So as we worship here in just a second, stop thinking about tomorrow. Man, I just put it in your mind. Now you're thinking about tomorrow, right? Like, like. Try not to think about tomorrow. Try to focus on this bread and juice and on this event that happened 2,000 years ago that gave you freedom. We're just going to be here for another 10 minutes. Like for 10 minutes, experience the peace of God by trusting him with your worries, with your anxiety, with your stuff. Put it all out there according to these verses, right? And live in it. Let's live in his kingdom together here for just 10 minutes. Now, we ought to walk out of here. We're not leaving his kingdom when we walk out of here. Let's live in his kingdom. You know our churches in, in Lexington will be packed if they walked in here and they go, man, those people are anxiety-free. Or at a minimum, they're the least anxious people I know on the planet. And they're the least greedy people or the most generous people I know on the planet. place would be packed. They won't be around people like y'all. And if we could sell that, he's not selling it. He's giving it. He's giving us this kingdom not full of anxiety that doesn't depend on the dollar what a beautiful kingdom sing that song with me again and we'll we'll pray invite the band band out